Say hi. Hi. And say hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And wait, wait, go back and say, I'm Theo. I'm Theo. And say, this is Nick Flick's podcast. Nick Flick's podcast. Good job. Good job. Nick Flick's What's in the Queue. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Nick Flick's podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and today is a returning guest. Uh, if you guys could all give a uh, podcast welcome to the co-host of Let's Jaws for a Minute, Sarah Buttery. Sarah, how you doing? Hey, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for letting me come back already. This is a, a real oh, treat. Yeah. We had such a good time talking Disney uh, last time that you got me back for another round. So thank you very well, much. Well, I, I mean, you, I must say, you were one of the, the few people on my, and I've liked everyone I've had on, so I would love to have everyone on again. But when I was first putting this podcast together, I'm like, I need to have Sarah on multiple times because I've talked to her about <laughs> Jaws and she's one of the best like conversationalists. So I was like, if I'm going to do an, a Spielberg episode, who better than someone who dedicated an entire podcast to a minute by minute breakdown of arguably, and I say arguably, even though we know it's his best, but arguably his best <laughs> movie, uh, Jaws. So I was very happy when you were like, oh, hell yeah, I'll do a Spielberg episode. <laughs> yeah, any any excuse. I mean, when someone's like, oh, you're probably sick of talking about Jaws. Do you want to talk about Jaws some more? And I'm like, my capacity for how much I can talk about Jaws is limitless. Like, <laughs> I'm making a career out of this, so there is no end. <laughs> I mean, if someone would pay me to do it, I'd gladly be like, like, listen, you have to talk about Jaws every day for five days a week as a job. I'd be like, that's fine. I could. Yeah. I will find something to talk about, whether it's a minute someone's by minute. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's a it's a dirty job, but it, it, but mm. someone's got to do it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a little spoiler into this episode. So we are going to discuss. Uh, he's my favorite director, and I think he's the greatest director of all time. But this this is going to be a episode that's not so much about movies uh, necessarily, but about a director who has been. Uh, who has given us so many classic films. And instead of just breaking down, you know, a couple of his classic films, what we're going to kind of do is discuss uh, the, the man himself, Steven Spielberg, but kind of break it down over his six decades of directing at least major motion pictures, because he technically, I believe, started directing TV in like the late 60s. But we're going to focus on the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s and 2020s. Um, and Sarah came up with a great idea. We'll kind of focus each decade on one particular movie. So it seems so fitting to have you on that. The first movie, uh, <laughs> is this, it's this really tiny film he did in 1975, um, that, I, as we're talking right now is actually the 48th anniversary of this mm -hmm. little, again, little tiny indie film. And that is Jaws. <laughs> so, uh, Sarah, do you want to kind of kick us off with, you know, maybe something about Spielberg's directing style, uh, in particular in his early years that you really liked using Jaws as like the focus? Mm. Yeah, what I what I love about Spielberg's filmmaking in the 70s is that this is when he is starting out. So this decade, I kind of categorize as Spielberg, like figuring it out. Um, he figures it out pretty quickly. Don't worry, guys. Like <laughs> it's not long before he is making masterpieces. But 
what's interesting is is as well as Jaws, obviously the greatest film ever made, but the the stuff that kind of happens before and after Jaws, you can very much see kind of traces of Jaws in in Duel, which is his um his first uh, feature film, TV movie, but now kind of categorized as as feature film. Um, and then you can sort of this is the decade that he makes some mistakes uh a a big mistake in 1941 as well which came out Mm -hmm. right at the end of this decade um but also some of his best films as well um with the kind of back-to-back uh hits with uh, jaws and close encounter of the third kind um is such an interesting start to this director's career and what we always kind of honed in on with Jaws is how ballsy that film is <laughs> as you're, as like a director like just starting out. Spielberg was like this like snotty, lanky, like 20-something-year-old when he made this film. 26, I believe, was how old he was when he started. This I mean, is insane. insane. Imagine. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing at 26, but it wasn't making freaking Jaws. Like, <laughs> just right out the gate just coming out there with with a film like this and in the making of it in the directing of it everything is just so gutsy it, this is a guy who i think we said this on the podcast this is a guy who at this stage in his career has got nothing to lose really because mm-hmm. he's had a couple of films under his belt this is his first kind of like major major film he had sugarland express before this um in 74 but this is the film that sort of like when you think like what film put Spielberg on the map it's Jaws so he kind of just went all in (laughs) like threw everything at it um a crazy shoot you know filming majority of it like at sea with practical effects very unreliable practical effects Mm -hmm. um I don't I don't know who else would have the balls to do that that early <laughs> that early in his career it no. could have gone the other way like i always think that his his career and what comes afterwards does kind of hang on the knife edge of jaws because if that film had sucked i don't know it could have been it could have been very very different it could have been people saying you know he took it was like a swing and a miss like he took these these mm-hmm. these bold shots and it just didn't pay off but it went the other way obviously which you know we're very thankful for but yeah yeah, just it's an incredibly directed film as well as being flawless in every single other Mm -hmm. way but such a a a fascinating kind of jumping off point i think in in spielberg's career for sure yeah and and so some some fun little um nick flicks nuggets about uh about (laughs) spielberg um that so it's funny you say that he had nothing to lose and it's true because at the, there's a great documentary for that. I'll, I'm going to plug a, uh, a, uh, early, uh, you know, throw this movie in your queue, but if you have max now, not HBO max, <laughs> uh, <laughs> check out. And if you like Steven Spielberg, check out the documentary Spielberg. It's like a two hour long documentary that was made in 2017 about his career, but they don't do it necessarily chronologically, but it's about, all of his big films and about just what he's meant to like how like Hollywood in terms of movies. And, um, and he talked about how he was considered a novelty when he first got signed um, 
to be a like studio director for TV because he was like 21 years old and everyone's like this kid is it's a novelty by this by this producer to like oh look at I got the young hotshot so people really did not like him and it kind of shows with Jaws when it came to the Academy Awards the movie got nominated for best picture back when they only used to do five and he wasn't nominated for best director which when you're only doing five it's like well how how does the best picture not have best director or an acting nom either which was very it was mm. it was very like Hollywood hated how successful he was with Jaws and how good Jaws was because they were hoping it would flame out and this, you know, novelty director would go away. Um, Mm -hmm. And and he talks about how in the 70s, him, uh, Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, George Lucas, there was someone who called them the uh, film brats, like some Mm -hmm. article about them and how those four became good friends because of their love of cinema and their love of making movies and how he's like, there was no better people to like show our movies to than our friends because they would be brutally honest. And there's a great story he tells about Brian De Palma shitting all over star Wars when George Lucas first <laughs> showed it because it was a rough cut and he goes, it wasn't like done. And they were splicing in like old Vietnam, like plane footage for tie fighters and stuff. And, George was like, or Stephen was like, I loved it. I thought it was a good movie, but it it wasn't really meant for like De Palma and Scorsese and them. And they all were like, what the hell is this weird space movie? So it's fun to kind of see how like some of the most influential either filmmakers or just movie creators, because George Lucas hasn't really directed a film in forever, but like in the seventies, him and Spielberg were, became friends because they were kind of nerdy film guys. And like how important that, decade was not just for Spielberg but for like the movie industry in general um Mm -hmm. and you definitely see it with Jaws where it's like had he been like 10 years older and had made maybe like Close Encounters and Raiders and E.T. and all these other movies Jaws might have been different but he talks about how he's like I was cocky in a way that I actually thought I could pull off this movie (laughs) and you know he didn't storyboard it so he goes a lot of it was like Okay, here's the idea we have in our head. Crap, the shark's not working. Okay, let's now we got to make a scene because we can't just sit here and film nothing. So mm. it, it's just so amazing how Jaws is such a coherent, good movie when the making of, and I talked about it and and one of my Nick Flick spotlights, and you've talked about it a hundred times talking about the movie. <laughs> it just was such a cluster, you know what, that it's like, mm-hmm. how did this movie end up being so good? Yeah, it's a, it's a sheer miracle that the film that exists is you know the one that we got (laughs) with everything that was involved in in the making of it and i think in in the best possible way you really see the the hubris of spielberg in particularly in jaws and close encounters of the third kind this Mm -hmm. is he knows he's good at what he you know he knows he's good at what he does at this point he doesn't have a whole lot to lose because he's so early in his career and he sees it pay off kind of like one after the other that's i we joke about it on the podcast because we seem to bring up 1941 all the time even though we both absolutely hate it but it's such a fascinating failure because that there is perhaps no better example of a of a film where the success has gone to the director's head that much that he truly believes he can put out anything and people will like it because that film takes some giant swings and some huge misses as well. Like it's, 
but he needed to make that film because you know what comes after that Raiders of the Lost Ark mm-hmm. and then we're kind of like we're back in like the not to get too into the 80s but like we're back into kind of like the Spielberg like churning out the hits like one after the other kind of thing he needed to have that to I think like knock him back a peg or two yeah. in a in a in a good way but you know what it, it recenters him of like yeah. hey you just came off of Jaws and Close Encounters which Close Encounters a is a, an amazing movie and it's mm-hmm. I I just watched it like all the way through as an adult for the first time last November. Like I hadn't seen mm-hmm. it in so long, but I've always seen pieces of it. And I was like, man, it's amazing. Cause it is, it was a, it was super successful at the box office, but it's not like, it's not like an alien movie that is like what an alien movie would be now. It's yeah. way more of a psychological, like this dude's having this breakdown. Cause he can't understand mm-hmm. why he can't get these aliens and Sarah sees it because we're using camera. How crazy I am with my hands. <laughs> uh, but how he's just like going insane, building, you know, the, the, that mountain thing out of mashed potatoes and then building it out of clay. And, and it was like, he came off of two such successful, big over budget movies, mm-hmm. then makes 1941, which was really over budget. And had he not had a, those like two amazing successes. And then that big failure, we might not get Raiders. Cause that almost cost him the fact that his first three movies, well, three major movies, all went over budget and shooting schedule. And you're like, dude, you got to reel it in. And <laughs> and I will say, as much as I don't think George Lucas is a very good director past the first Star Wars movie, which was not that movie's great, but not so much because of his direction. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But like he's an amazing producer and he was him and Spielberg together. It's like George is a good idea, man, and he needs the right director who could hone his ideas and say, that's a little bit much, but this works. Let's go with this. And, and, you know, we're Raiders is not the movie we picked for the eighties, which is funny, (laughs) but let's just go into it. So for the eighties, it starts off with a bang for him. Raiders of the lost Mm -hmm. Ark. Like you, you give everyone a, a, a different take on like a James Bond type character, basically, because he's not a secret agent. and, And it was really the first, you know, like James Bond esque character that wasn't James Bond. And you're like, Oh man, it's awesome though. It's a smart, he's not an, you know, he's a, a smart, successful kind of a playboy archeologist, which is crazy. You know, it's not, not like a thing that, that makes a ton of sense when you're thinking about it. And then you watch the movie and you're like, Oh no, it all fits so well. I always joke that mm-hmm. when he's teaching our kids ever wondering like, Hey, you know, Dr. Jones hasn't been back to teach for a while. I wonder where he's been. <laughs> like, his schedule's like we have one class every month because I don't know if I'm going to be in the Amazon somewhere or in <laughs> Nepal, like Nepal or where I'm going. Uh, but but early in the '80s, he comes out with a movie that is probably at that time the closest to what has truly been bothering him as a person, and um and that's the movie ET. And and what I'm saying with that is his, his struggles personally were always about family uh and and very famously i don't know if anyone listening who hasn't seen the fablemans is is while it's not a it's not quote a spielberg biopic it's basically a biopic about his childhood and and that is something that is a theme in a lot of his movies about either an absentee father a father whose relationship is strained with his kids uh, a, you know, a mother who's maybe having a breakdown and, and E.T. was kind of his first 
like I'm going to I'm going to take what's always bothered me and but then try to spin it in a good way. And, and, and you know, you have a, a this little alien and this boy, this boy who feels so isolated without his dad there. And he just wants to live what is, quote, the normal suburban life. And you meet this alien. And again, maybe under another director, this movie does not work. And instead, it becomes, <laughs> again, another classic. It's like he just between 1975 and 1982 comes up with like some of the most historically classic like movies in cinema history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, every film fan's kind of top top ten, whatever. Like you can guarantee that there's a Spielberg f- film mm-hmm. in there. I mean, you're you're gonna see Jaws, Jurassic Park, Raiders, ET, other f- films that we'll come on to as well. Like this guy just knows what makes a, like a great story, like not just a a, a great film and a and a well put together film it's it's the story it's the characters these are the things that that draw you in and et say like taking something that is is so personal and you know his his parents divorce which is something that he not only speaks very openly about but is Mm -hmm. present through a lot of his films and this deals with that but not quite as explicitly as 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 some of the others do um, but it takes this idea of, you know, that it's mentioned the the absentee father, like he's he's not around. So you've got this kid who is just desperately lonely, doesn't really fit in with his, you know, older brother or or younger sibling and just trying to find his place. And then he comes across this little alien dude who is also, you know, missing his family and away from his family. And they form this this bond that sort of surpasses all understanding really it's it's mm. it's something that that can't necessarily be be explained just these two who needed each other like found each other at, at the exactly the right moment and there's i mean spielberg has talked about how like it was it was his dad who um sort of started his fascination with with space and and with sort mm. of you know looking up to the, to the skies and seeing the sort of the the wonder and the beauty that that there is so making a film like this, when you know those like little extra things about Spielberg, adds something completely different to this film. But yeah, you take that out of it, and you can just watch it and be like, this is a really lovely, wholesome, heartwarming, magical, funny, charming, <laughs> like yeah. all of the above. You know, it's it's that as well. But yeah, it's got this like emotional core to it. And I think is possibly still the the best example of Spielberg really knowing how to direct children and really yes. getting into their perspective as well because there's no like the, the camera like for the most part is that kind of like child level mm-hmm. um and it's so shot in, yeah it's shot in continuity which is very for people who don't understand like most movies are not shot uh, from the way the movie is start to finish is not how it's shot. Usually they mm-hmm. shoot out of order because you might only have a certain location at a certain time. So you're like, okay, let's film here. We'll do all the dinner scenes uh, in this you know movie right now because we have this set. Okay, now we're going to do all the stuff that's at this park because we have the park. And there's multiple reasons why movies don't shoot in order. But Spielberg talked about it on the documentary that he goes, I just felt that since the movie is so the shoulders of this movie is on three kids, you know, Mm -hmm. Elliot and then his, his sister and his brother. And he's like, I wanted to shoot it 
in continuity so they understand where their characters are and not jump around from, okay, here's where the alien, oh no, you think he's dead. It's so sad. Okay. Here's the first time you meet the alien. He, he wanted them to actually build the relationship, which Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg could demand that in 1982 or yeah, 82 <laughs> is when this came out, but like he could be like, Hey, we're going to shoot this in order because this is why I think we should. Um, not all directors get to do that. Not all directors would direct kids like that, but I think he really figured out like the secret sauce of like, okay, it's not about treating kids like little kids, but it's helping them understand where, why are you feeling this way in this movie? What What's your connection to E.T.? Or it was, mm-hmm. was it called E.T.? But you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's, I just think that this movie did a lot for his career to also kind of cement him as a great fantasy filmmaker. Cause fantasy mm-hmm. doesn't always have to be like middle earth or star Wars or, you know, Marvel or DC, like fantasy could just be, Hey, this kid, an alien lands and finds this kid, you know, close encounters is another fantasy movie. That's way different, you know, jaws to an extent, cause it's a monster fantasy type movie, but you know, R- Raiders kind of starts that of like, wow, he's a really good fantasy filmmaker. And then comes out with this movie and it's like, Oh yeah, no, not only is he really good, but he also really understands kids and can make a movie that kids could like, adults could like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the appeal of Spielberg is you don't feel like, you know, my son might not like this or my daughter might not like this, or, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know if my mom's going to want to take me to this movie, you know? And like, I love Martin Scorsese, but I can't show any of his movies to any of my kids, you know, <laughs> like that's i shouldn't at least not now but uh yeah <laughs> um but but et also his, his 80s were fascinating because they were super successful because you know after et he has temple of doom and then he he does a movie the color purple which was a big a big swing for him at the time because you know a lot of people even though it was like critically well received overall there were a lot of people who were like you didn't really make the movie as dark as how that book is and he kind of took and and he talks about it in the documentary where he goes i just i'm too shy to tell the like there's a very specific sexual scene in the movie or in the book that was very important to one of the characters and he really like shied away from it he's just like i just wasn't I wasn't comfortable mm-hmm. doing that. And and that is something in his movies. He is probably one of the least like his movies have like the least dirty, like sex in it for lack mm. of a better <laughs> term. Like there's no Wolf of Wall Street moments in his movies. Again, love Scorsese, but like Scorsese is <laughs> like, no, I'll, I'll show the dirty and Spielberg's like that. Ah, you know what? I obviously have a lot of kids. I'm not afraid of it, but like, I don't need to show it in my movies. Like he always was mm. kind of a prude director when it came to like, you know, he's like, I'm not going to show Indiana Jones and Marion getting it on, even <laughs> in a PG-13 setting. It's just going to cut away. Very old school classic. Um, but like he also finishes the decade with arguably some people's favorite Indiana Jones movie of, of The Last Crusade. And it's like, mm. you know, he bookends the 80s in such an interesting way with with a franchise, but a franchise that doesn't feel like you're pigeonholing a director like some franchises can to directors where it's like oh mm-hmm. yeah, like i said george lucas is a great example he's really only known for star wars and i mean not a bad franchise to get linked to but also <laughs> like that's that's really it like it as much as he may have created indiana jones it's still spielberg who's making his movie come to life like 
Mm. Spielberg, I think, is more synonymous with Indiana Jones than Lucas was. But like sometimes franchises could kill a director and it just showed you the power of what he could do. And, you know, um, any other final thoughts about kind of his his style in the 80s before we get to what is a fascinating decade that we're about (laughs) to get to with Spielberg? Yeah, I I think it's interesting what you're saying about this sort of like not being tied to a franchise and you look at the other films that that came in the 80s that weren't Indiana Jones films it really it does show that he can do you know a number of different things I remember when we were covering it on the podcast the gear change from Temple of Doom to then like the color purple and Empire of the Sun it was quite it was quite extreme but even then like seeing the difference between like the color purple and, and Empire of the Sun like there were elements in the color purple you're right that did kind of like shy away like from from the horrors of the book and empire of the sun does kind of like paint a slightly rosier picture of of certain elements and and sort of gloss it up a little bit Mm -hmm. but it's this like if you really kind of like pigeonhole spielberg into like the things that he the kind of films that he makes it's like big blockbusters historical dramas Mm -hmm. and like he's sort of like gone between those throughout his career, sort of like flitting between them with relative ease, sometimes bringing them out in the same year as we're going to get onto. But he, he is showing at this point, like, look, I can do all of these, these things. I'm not just the Indiana Jones guy. I'm not Mm -hmm. just going to be tied down to making these films forevermore. I mean, it's unfortunate that we have to have the one in 2008. We'll preserve judgment on the latest. Well, actually, it's not Spielberg, is it? So it doesn't matter. Um, but proving like, you know, yeah, I can I can do that. And coming off the back of like a, a pretty big flop sort of at the end of the 70s and then like kicking off the 80s in such a strong way, sprinkling it with some Indiana Jones films. Like it's just a great way to sort of like say like no this is the kind of director I'm going to be look at these two things I do and look at how well I do them mm-hmm. and it's in the the night he's kind of perfected the blockbuster I mean he perfected it in 1975 so yeah he's <laughs> I mean, by, by 1990 he's box office like yeah like gold like everything yeah. he does is going to make a profit yeah. and exactly. I, I believe there there was um there was a, a podcast that I listened to years ago and they just did a, they did like their own Spielberg thing. And they said up until basically like a big friendly giant that even Spielberg's Mm. movies as a kid, which in Arizona, again, another fun little nugget about him is that he directed all these movies with his buddies and they would play Mm. them in this like local theater at Ariz in Arizona. And one of his movies as a kid even technically made a profit because it cost him $500 <laughs> to make and it made like $501 in this little local <laughs> box office. And it's like, even as a kid, he was like, I could make a movie that people are going to want to see. And and what's so great is in the 90s, it starts off almost like how the 70s ended where, mm. and I do give him credit, as much as this movie has its flaws and and is not a good movie, but like he's such a good director that it's at least competent enough to go. Yeah. It's a movie. It just, it, you could tell it was a movie that he probably had an idea and then too many things, just a lot also going on in his life of running as a separate company. And like, it just was probably too much on his plate. And also a movie that I think they, sh- they couldn't decide enough on 
which is not the movie we're going to get into too much in the <laughs> 90s, but his, his early 90s starts off with Hook, which was just turned out to be a kind of a, a huge disaster. But it's also a movie that's so nostalgic for people our age. Anyone in their probably early 40s to late 20s know that movie and remember it as like a movie you saw as a kid and you might have liked it a lot as a kid. And then as an adult, you're just like, wow, it is. It's a lot. But <laughs> It's also like, again, it's almost that he 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 could do whatever he wants. He wanted to make this Peter Pan movie. It turns out to not be at all what he was hoping and what he thought it would be. But then it leads him to the greatest year by any director in this history of cinema. I don't care what <laughs> I don't care if the Godfather you're comparing it to Citizen Kane. The Godfather doesn't matter. No director will ever have a year like Spielberg did in 1993, where he had not only the biggest blockbuster at that time come out, which again, he's been part of some of the biggest blockbusters of all time with Jurassic Park. But then he directs a movie, a three hour long black and white movie about the Holocaust, which not only wins him best director, wins best picture, is an amazing movie, but it also was a huge hit financially, too. It made over $100 million, and it was a three-hour-long rated-R movie about the Holocaust, which should have, not that it shouldn't have made any money, but that's a tough sit for an audience to say, hey, mm -hmm. come watch my movie, Schindler's List. What's it about? Oh, it is like nothing I've ever done before. It is not, <laughs> there's nothing rosy about this movie. Mm. It's brutal. It's it's his first like handheld movie where he they handheld a lot of how they shot it. It almost feels like you're watching a documentary at times yeah. because of how he does not shy away from the brutality of this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two films in in this decade for Spielberg where it, it sort of writes those wrongs, I think, of The Color Purple and of Empire mm -hmm. of the Sun, and that's Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. Yes. And you're, to a lesser extent, Amistad as well, but like... Uh, proving that like yes i can make these historical dramas these kind of like big quote important films and i can do them really well and i can do them just as well as the blockbuster stuff and to prove how well i can do it i'm going to bring out one of the greatest blockbusters of all time uh in jurassic park and then i'm going to follow that up with schindler's list like the the audacity of spielberg <laughs> <laughs> like how dare he <laughs> how dare he make both of these films in the same year like it's it's just showing off at this point really because like it's not even like one film suffers because the uh, you know his his mm -hmm. mind was on 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 the next one or there must have been some overlap as well i'm not sure about so like, yeah I, I believe stuff, it was but... he was editing i think they were in the editing process of schindler's list when they were shooting jurassic park i think because mm. I do know he was going back and forth. He didn't film both of them at the same time, but he was definitely editing one while filming the other. But just like right. how you don't take a break between either of those movies. And at the time, he wasn't directing a movie every year. I mean, he would take a couple mm -hmm. years here and there, but he was also running Amblin. He was they were starting their um, the DreamWorks was getting ready to I believe it. It hadn't started yet, but it was starting to get like the rumblings of it. Um so he was doing a lot and he was producing a lot of movies. Something we forgot to mention in the 80s. He produced mm. so many classic 80 movies, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Goonies, even though I don't really like The Goonies, but it's still a classic <laughs> 80s movie. Um, you know, so like 
he this man was so involved in so many big movies and then the fact that in the same year he was like yeah i'm gonna do a movie that's gonna be so emotionally draining for me i mean obviously as a jewish man he he talks about it how he goes where we shot Mm. schindler's list if this was the 40s during that time i wouldn't have been allowed i would have been captured Mm. in prison like and he goes, it meant a lot for the people working on the movie who had grown up with family that were in the Holocaust or mm-hmm. were in that area. And he's like, it just, it was a movie he broke down a lot. He goes, thank God I had my wife with me because, you know, he's like, it was hard. It was really hard. And I mean, one of the most, you know, a, a performance in that movie and not a lot of Steve Spielberg's movies necessarily have earned people Oscars. It's not like he's a director where you mm. look and go, oh, my God, he's had 100 Oscar nominees for acting. But though the acting's usually really good in a Spielberg movie. But the mm. performance <laughs> that Liam Neeson gives in Schindler's List is so underrated, even though he was nominated for an Oscar. And I think I think he, unfortunately for him, it came out the same year that Tom Hanks won for Forrest Gump, I think it was like one of those where he just ran up against someone who was also a bigger actor at the time. But like mm. that, the the scene when at the very end of the movie, which spoiler for Schindler's List, you kind of get if you haven't seen it. I mean, a it's over thirty years old or about thirty years old, so it's like you should see it by now. Um, <laughs> when he when he breaks down, seeing mm. that he could have done more, and he has that meltdown in front of everyone who's praising him, all these Jewish people who he saved. I mean, he he saved over eleven 1, hundred. Jewish people from getting killed and they're like no it's okay like thank you for saving all of us like you what you did was heroic and he's just like I could have done more and he's such a fat Oscar Schindler is such a fascinating character because he doesn't start off mm-hmm. like at all likable like he's just a he's a womanizer he's like hey I'm gonna profit off this war and even as he starts to do good things he doesn't necessarily do it in a way that's like you know hey hey audience he's the hero it's more like mm-hmm. Okay, I'll hire more of you to make money because it's going to help me. And okay, you know, I guess I'll help. And he never has like that come to Jesus moment where he's like, I need to save all these people. He does it and it's it's just done in a way that so many directors would have probably been like, no, we got to make Oscar Schindler uh, a superhero, not a superhero with power. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like, let's make it like he has this morality crisis. And in one scene, he'll be like, I need to save these people. He never does that. It's just Mm -mm. slowly you see him helping people out and trying to save people, but he never gets like that, that hero's moment. It's, it's, it's a very like, no, he's just doing the right. He's finally doing the right thing, but we're not going to bring attention to it. Like most directors would and try to make it this Mm. rosy moment for him. Yeah. It's such a, such a, complex character and such a such a great film i i did manage to rewatch this one i was trying to rewatch all the films we're talking about yeah. but you know <laughs> we've only got so much time but i uh i i put this on because it'd been a long long time since i'd seen it and just struck by i mean it's such a it's such a beautifully made film about like the ugliest period in history mm-hmm. um but just everything about it is so is so perfect the acting amazing the script incredible the direction the score very underrated score oh my god i love i cannot listen to that like violin track without weeping so so (laughs) i try not to mention it oh i remember seeing i i didn't i haven't seen um like john williams in concert but i I went to like a film music concert and they had like a solo violinist like play the theme from schindler's list and uh 
oh, I sobbed like a baby. Um, <laughs> but like the the ending of this this film is is so incredible. Like that that moment, like you're talking about as well with with Oscar Schindler when he's just completely breaks down, and it should be this like big kind of, you know triumphant moment. But like mm. people accuse Spielberg of being this like overly like schmaltzy guy, and like yeah, okay, you get that in in some of his films and I think that leans a little too much into that in sort of some of the like 2010 films they go a little bit too hard on that but this film doesn't do that at all because it's not the sort of film that that calls for it it's very raw it's very honest it's very human and in what should sort of be this like amazing like moment like you know the war is over and these people are saved and everything is a guy just breaking down because he thinks he hasn't done enough. He's he mm-hmm. recognizes that he has saved some people, but he's like, I, you know, I I could have saved more. And then the very very end as well, like with the, um, you say about how it like feels like a documentary. I mean, it, it becomes a documentary mm-hmm. at the at the end, right? Because you get the, um, some of the survivors or family members of of survivors, um, walking like hand in hand, like with the actors who play them. It's so moving. It's so brilliant. And I think it just, it. I don't know if many directors necessarily would have like added that little extra touch in. I think this was such a personal story for for Spielberg, mm-hmm. and it was one that he didn't. I was reading about it actually. Like he was really not keen to direct it. I think mm-hmm. he kept trying to like palm it off onto other yeah, other I people. Think someone said he like someone had showed or gave him the book back in yeah. like the eighties, and he was like. I would love for someone to do this, but I, I can't right now. Like it's not yeah. like he talked about it. He had to be in the right. It just so happened that he did it the same year that he did Jurassic Park. <laughs> Again, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's insane that you could make two polar opposite movies, but have so much importance uh, on the, not just again, not just for cinema, but like in the zeitgeist of what was going on. I mean, look, Schindler's list ended up as one of the, one of the funniest or like goofiest, you know, Seinfeld bits was Jerry making out during it. And it's like, how could you make out during Schindler's list? Like the movie, it's, it's just an insane thing that like that movie did so well. And again, when you, you know, not that people don't want to see sad movies, but generally speaking, movies about historic events that are depressing, which is what the Holocaust is. It's, it's one of the most, pressing things in like world history of the past mm. 200 years and and especially when so many places did nothing about it and that's what spielberg talked about he's like it just a lot of people turned an eye to it and oscar schindler was one of those guys who like what are you gonna do you're gonna take on the nazi army no i'm just gonna not do anything and mm. you know he finds a way to kind of help and you know like you said it, it's it's also a movie that from this point till about really kingdom of the crystal skull is when you start to get a way more darker Spielberg, like in mm-hmm. a more brutal because you get saving private Ryan, like you said, Amistad, not so much, but even like the lost world is, is not a fun movie. Like how Jurassic park is. And then there's scary elements mm-hmm. in, in Jurassic park, but like the lost world was way more like brutal towards people in the movie. And like, <laughs> like it's just a different tone. And, and you know, he kind of ends the the two thousand or the nineties with 
Saving Private Ryan, which when which at the very end of this episode, we're going to do our top five. Spoiler alert. This movie's in my top five. It It's <laughs> it's such a it's a movie that is special for me because I saw it when I was a way too young to go see it. But I was about nine when this movie came out and I saw it with my with my stepdad and my grandpa and my brother and my brother and my grandpa had already seen it. So my brother's like, oh, my God, my brother was a huge is a big like war buff and a war, mm-hmm. you know, historian and. He loves World War II and, and was so excited. So my grandpa took him and then he's like, Nick, you got to come see this movie because the first 20 minutes are going to blow your mind. And I remember, still remember, like being in the theater and that first 25 minutes of that, that taking of Omaha is, mm-hmm. of Omaha Beach is one of the most like intense, insane. And it, it's, it's a movie theater experience that I'll never forget. And it also shows you the power of movies, uh, especially when they're done well. And, you know, Saving Private Ryan was also a big turning point for him in terms of working with a specific actor because it's his first movie with Tom Hanks. And we're about to talk about a couple movies in the 2000s and 2010s where Tom Hanks plays a very pivotal role in these movies. And a lot of times great directors do find certain actors that they will work with over and over. You know, Scorsese did it with first De Niro and now DiCaprio and Spielberg hadn't not really done that, you know, minus Harrison Ford for three movies, but it's not like he's ever worked with Harrison Ford outside of Indiana Jones. And not that he doesn't want to work with him. It's just, look, gotta, your schedule's got to work, you know, cause I remember they did pitch Harrison Ford to be Dr. Grant originally. And they're like, ah, he's too close. Even Ford was like, I'd love to do it, but he's too close to Indiana Jones. Then if I, <laughs> I can't play like an archaeologist, <laughs> it digs up dinosaur bones and it's like oh you're kind of like a a poor man's indiana jones um so so after saving private ryan we get into the the 2000s where uh, a movie that that we picked and i just i just watched it the other night i've seen this movie a thousand times but i rewatched it again and again this movie probably deals with the most family theme that he's always struggled with and and at this time he had finally recon like um, reconnected with his dad after like a 17 year mm-hmm. absence from him and saving private Ryan was the film that kind of kickstarted it is he said, I made this one for my dad who had served in the war. And uh, like he always talks about, that was like the greatest generation, you know? Um, and then he does this movie, catch me if you can, which is the one you picked for the two thousands, which I'm glad. Cause that's the one I wanted you to pick too. So <laughs> I was like, good. I want to talk about catch me if you can. This is his like, straight up dealing with actual shit that happened in his life with the storyline of Leo's mom, you know, ending up with his dad's best friend. And that was very much like, especially when you know Steven Spielberg's life. Now, when that movie came out, I didn't know that. Now you watch it and you're like, oh, holy crap. That's Mm. probably what he wanted to do when he was a kid, which was run away from home, which he essentially did. He just ran off to Hollywood and became a successful director, not a 17, 18 year old kid uh, uh, defrauding <laughs> all these, these banks of uh, $4 million, but catch me if you can is such a good movie. And I think it's one mm-hmm. of his most underrated, which is crazy. Cause I think for any other director, this would be like a top five of their best <laughs> for Spielberg. I think it like just gets not pushed aside, but I feel like people take for granted how much fun this movie is. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of John Williams most underrated scores in my opinion. So it's good. an amazing so why don't you tell me about why you why you wanted to talk about this movie 
it's, it's such a great film like i genuinely never get bored of watching this film and i'm like you i've seen it so many times as well this is one that i did not need to rewatch for this because i was like it's all up there in the old brain just like jaws i was like i don't need to <laughs> i need to rewatch that but it's so funny we're saying about like an underrated spielberg film and it it, it kind of is i think because yeah. a lot of people just forget it's directed by spielberg i mean he's he's made a lot of films so Fair enough. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't remember all of them necessarily, but what's what's so interesting is that even when Spielberg is telling a, a true story, and this is based on based on a true story of a of a, a real guy who did these insane things, like it, it doesn't seem like a true story. It's a very unbelievable no. true story, but a lot of it is true. And obviously, dealing with like you know divorce that, that happens in the film is something that is obviously like very personal to Spielberg it's what what happened to like the real guy as well it just shows like Spielberg's Spielberg doesn't just like come across a story you know a true story a novel or whatever and go okay yeah I'll make that he, he seems to just find something of himself and his his life and his experiences in each project that sort of like comes his way or most of his projects anyway the ones that sort of end up being the most successful are the ones that sort of seem to have like something of himself in them um Mm. and this is yeah and another one of those but it's just it's such a watchable film and it's such a great pairing of um dicaprio and tom hanks like they're both so so good in this from them too they're great mm -hmm. in that movie and i don't feel like people don't look at those two roles as necessarily like oh yeah those are like two of their better i'm like dude they were both so good like yeah, in that movie insanely <laughs> good i don't know what witchcraft or what fountain of youth leonardo dicaprio has access to to be able to like convincingly pay play a teenager in this film and then kind Which of like is... through to sort of like late 20s or whatever yeah and he's in, <laughs> and when he's filming this movie he is in his late 20s yeah or like or yeah because because he wasn't 30 yet i don't think his like I mean, this did come out in like 02 or uh, yeah. 03. Yeah, so 02. So yeah, so they filmed it in 2001. So he's probably in his late 20s, but without like trying to make, <laughs> they make him look young and it doesn't yeah. feel like a 30-year-old guy that you're trying to make look young. Like he just looks very youthful and it's like, mm-hmm. damn, good for you, Leo. <laughs> good for you. And and Tom Hanks is so great. You know, Carl Hanratty or Carl Hanratty. How <laughs> you know like the you want to hear a joke knock knock uh there's there's so many good it's such a entertaining and not in a way where sometimes you'll say a movie's entertaining because it's not good and you're like well it was entertained but i don't think it was a very good movie this is the opposite this is like no it's not only a very good movie it's so rewatchable though and so entertaining and you don't even have to pick it up right away at the beginning but like it it's good too because there's so much fun stuff he does with showing the process of how, you know, this character is going to rip off the airlines, the banks without mm-hmm. making it like, oh, my God, this is not interesting. Like, it's like, no, it is interesting. I want to see him making fake checks. And how did he do it? I don't you know, mm-hmm. he didn't need to do like these long overindulgent sequences of it. He's just like, no, it's a great little montage of look at him. He's putting the planes in the in the mm-hmm. tub to peel the stickers off, to put it on the fake checks. And, you know, the. The ending's great where, you know, it's, you think he's gonna, you know, Tom Hanks lets him go off and fly and he's like, I'll see you on Monday. And then he just shows up late and it's like, no, they actually, he actually ended up becoming a very valuable asset to the FBI. Mm. Um, And it's, 
it's an amazing movie because the 2000s is his most uh like how do i put this because you had minority report you have munich war of the worlds it it's his darkest time as a director because a lot of those movies are about government propaganda and paranoia mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's probably like the most maybe cynic like cynical look on yeah humanity that spielberg's ever had is like the 2000s up until crystal skull was probably like okay it's his that's his hook of like okay i just want to do a fun movie and and it's funny you know crystal skull there's i talked to someone who an episode i'm going to be dropping soon about indiana jones and how i'm like there's a good skeleton in that movie but what they always did in indiana jones they didn't do with this which was don't make it a big budget movie make it for a, a smaller budget and do more practical. And instead they were like, well, it's 2008. We have the money. Let's do more money. Let's do the effects. And it's like, Oh, but that's not the magic of Indiana Jones is the simplicity mm-hmm. of Indiana Jones, even though he goes on these grand adventures and crystal skull was like, he just got, I think it, it was, I'm old. I don't want to direct like, I, not that he doesn't want to direct the same, but you know what I mean? Like, he's like, I don't want to go through yeah. the nightmare of trying to, shoot the way we shot those first three you know like i'm i'm a lot older now i want to just kind of do it in a, in a more convenient way um mm. but it's 2000s even though you know maybe not the like most historic of his like he still had a lot of good movies in the 2000s that again you know war of the worlds is a movie that i'm not huge on but i don't think it's a bad movie i just think it's one mm. where you know, it, it, it's it's again, it's it's a it's a it, like Minority Report. It's a kind of a movie about the paranoia of what 9-11 did to this country for half the 2000s, which was everyone's, mm. you know, out to get you. And you got to watch, you know, it, it was it was, you know, Minority Report's a better example of that because it's about arresting people for crimes that didn't happen. And it's a very complex movie. But again, mm. it's Spielberg. It's it's kind of like his dip dip into this the science fiction elements of a paranoid movie instead of et which is a fun science fiction movie he's like no i'm gonna do some kind of like down and dirty and not (laughs) family science fiction movies that are though again are still about the loss of family tom cruise's character in war of the world is all about his son not loving him and like getting separated and you know again that that theme kind of never left spielberg of you know, it's daddy issues, but it was a big deal for him. And I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's the blessing and the curse. If he doesn't have a rough childhood, he might not be the director that he turned out to be. If he was popular and had a family that stayed together, who knows, maybe he never ends up becoming a director and we don't get these classics or we get different mm-hmm. versions of them that aren't as good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's what we were saying before as well, isn't it? It's, it's Spielberg finding something of himself in these films and that's why they end up being so successful i mean even the the films that you know you could say like aren't as good when they still have moments like i there's only a couple of spielberg films that i'm really like they are awful (laughs) one of them is crystal skull um and then there's a couple that come in the next decade (laughs) as well but um yeah he 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 movie making like for Spielberg seems to be like a therapeutic thing. Like he ha he has to do it. And it's, it can sometimes come across as like when a director is like putting too much of themselves into the film, it's kind of like, 
okay. Like, <laughs> it can be annoying or it can seem, you know, the, the, the ego is, like, steering mm-hmm. the ship. But it never seems like that with, with Spielberg. I think because there's such there's such variety in the kind of stories that that he is telling and and even though he's you know kind of done you could say you know done the you know science fiction or like the blockbuster or the historical drama or or the whatever he's always finding new ways to do it and and put a different spin on it and you definitely i think that's what you see the most in kind of the 2000s is him doing the kind of films he does very very well and continuing to do them very well but just with a like a little like a fresh spin on it and you're sort of seeing Mm -hmm. him for better or worse kind of like using more of the 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 digital effects and things like that as well he is adapting and kind of moving with the times rather than just being like stuck in the way that he's doing these things before i mean i'm always team practical effects over digital effects because i just think nothing ages your film worse than like poor (laughs) computer graphics um whereas you know the practical effects of jaws and jurassic park and india timeless so yeah well i think he's probably talked about it of like you got to do what makes the best sense for your movie right. and james gunn recently talked about it where he's like look i have a talking raccoon that i can't use practical <laughs> like i have to use cgi so if i could i i would like to, i think most directors would like to use practical and yeah a lot of times it's just depends on what you're trying to do man it's just but mm-hmm. it, it, and this is where I think the 2010s is where Spielberg gets out of the fantasy element of his directing minus the BFG. But I think that was more of like, I want to make a kid's movie because he's a family man. And like he hadn't done a kid's movie because mm-hmm. he does, you know, just to list a few, though, we're going to specifically talk about Bridge of Spies. But he does the Bridge of Spies movie. He does the Post. He does War Horse. And these aren't in chronological order. Uh, Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So this is like his doing a lot of historical uh, moments type dramas. And then the BFGs mm-hmm. in there is like the BFG was like his first flop at the box office where like it mm. for a big budget, it made it didn't do him a lot of money. It, it was very weirdly marketed. And I think that's a movie that had he tried to do it now could have been an easy, a lot cheaper and just have been right to streaming probably or taking your time on it and maybe drop it at a better time. But that, that movie, I think he was more focused on the post, uh, I believe is mm-hmm. what came out first, no, the, which the post and the, the post is an interesting movie because I like it a lot. It's not one yeah, of his best, too. but I do think it's a movie that while it got the Oscar nom, I think some people maybe didn't like it, but it's like, I feel like if you put another director's name on it, people would have liked it. But Spielberg, it's like, Oh well, it's not it's not good enough for a Spielberg movie, and it's like, but it's <laughs> he he made that movie in like three months. Like it was like, oh, this is a really important story, and it's a a, a time where I think this is a really important topic. I want to green like mm-hmm. this fast. The cast is really good. Um, mm-hmm. I do think uh, th- my favorite character that I think would have gotten an Oscar nom is Bob Odenkirk in that movie. I think if he had one more scene, could have been nominated yeah. for best supporting actor. He's great in that movie, but I just think. The Post was a movie where for how he rushed to make that, it was very good. And then the movie we were kind of using today for the 2000 or 2010s was Bridge of Spies, which I really like. I know it's not mm. everyone's cup of tea and it's it's a slower movie, but I enjoy it because I think it's just Spielberg like I have a great director and or I'm not a, I have a great actor in Tom <laughs> Hanks. I have this kind of unknown older actor in Mark Rylance given a very subdued 
but interesting performance. Mm-hmm. And and it's also again, it's it's a subject matter that his dad worked on uh during the Cold War. He was a computer programmer and a really good one and worked with people over in Russia for a program that was was trying to help prevent the Cold War and keep us mm-hmm. at, you know, and and I think the story is again, I know Bridge of Spies isn't everyone's favorite movie of his, but like it's an interesting story about this lawyer who they're like, Hey, go defend this guy and try to get our boy back home. And it's like, okay, well, but I'm going to do it ethically. I'm not going to do it just because Mm -hmm. he's a communist. Like I'm going to defend him. So it's a good, I mean, I like it again. It's, it's maybe not the most rewatchable where I want to watch it every year, but I definitely think it was a movie where it's a good looking movie, the way he shot it. it. It's, it's Spielberg's like, Again, I think it was an important one for him to do. So who am I to tell him not to do it again? Even if you don't, I'm not sure if you like it or dislike it or what your thoughts are yet about it. But that's just me where it's like, that seemed like a movie he, he had been wanting to do a long time. And it's like, hey, this is the time to do it now. And I feel like from that point on, that's the Spielberg we've gotten, which is this is what I want to do because I've reached this point in my life. Because the movie we'll talk about in the 2020s, I know you're excited to talk about. So we won't spend too much time on Bridge of Spies, but just guess what are your thoughts on that or just kind of this 2010s for him in general? Yeah, I I think this film is absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not when I was like thinking again, like what films did I need to rewatch um, for this? Uh, didn't get around to, <laughs> to rewatching okay. this one, but also it was the one that I was like least like of of all the ones we were talking about. It was the one that was kind of like bottom of my pile of like I don't you know I'll save this one till last kind of thing. For Even sure, I've seen you know the others so many times. Like had I had the time to watch them all, those were higher up my <laughs> list than this. But it's not it it it's not a bad film. Like you know Spielberg's absolutely fine films are someone else's best film. It's just because mm-hmm. it's Spielberg. That name mm-hmm. comes with expectations. It comes with thinking a, a film is going to be a certain you know a certain thing and then when it isn't yeah. or if it's something a bit different people are like well no don't like this um and this i've i've described um this era <laughs> for spielberg um as the 2010s or when spielberg was making very handsome pictures very mm-hmm. just very well made pictures um using pictures here yeah. <laughs> i like to pretend i'm school safety <laughs> Um, yeah, it is funny older like, directors when they talk yeah. it's like pictures everything's pictures <laughs> pictures yeah it's so sweet um but spielberg is is so honed and so good at what he does by this point kind of feels like he could make these movies in his sleep that's not I, i'm not being disparaging about this this era of films at all but it's like he's just so good at what he does yeah that he's kind of just he's just churning these films out you go that's a good film that's a great film that's an okay film like whatever they just, they're not, this is probably my least favorite era of, of Spielberg films, which is like, it's hard to that, find like a, you know, obviously like we've only had two films in the 20s yet, so we'll see how it goes, but it's, and none of them are bad fit. I, I hate Ready Player One, but other than that, none of them are like, really oh yeah, Ready Player One. Oh, it's funny. I, I don't mind that movie, but I can see why some <laughs> people don't like it. It's definitely different than the book, but I, I yeah, enjoy it. Uh, I forgot yeah. about that one. That was like his... <laughs> His sci-fi. I don't know why I 
I blanked on that. That's that's yeah. on me. I'm a terrible host. Well, I've got <laughs> so I've got I sort of have like categorized into this. So we've got the very handsome pictures, which is like Warhorse Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, uh, and the Post, and then we've got mm-hmm. what I have called the Curveballs, which is Tintin, the BFG, and Ready Player One. I love one of those films, and that's t- uh, and that's Tintin, which I tried to. Get I was going to say, I'm like, it ain't like, the BF. No, <laughs> and you know what? I feel bad. I should. I, when you said Tintin, I should. I just haven't seen that one, so I was like, I needed, oh. I needed something in the 2010s because when you picked West Side Story, which is what we're going to get into for the 2020s, I was like, what have I seen enough? And I should have picked the Post from 2010s, but I was like, you know what? <laughs> Bridge of Spies is a fascinating one because I also love the making of of that movie. So I was like, mm. I'll pick that one because I figured this would be a good discussion on. Again, like you said, the 2010s is interesting. It's probably a lot of people's least favorite decade of his because, like you said, it's a lot of handsome movies where you're like, <laughs> you know, again, you put another director's name on it and it's probably one of their best. But like Spielberg yeah. also at this time, it's like you're coming off of four decades of insane movies where it's like, I don't blame their, it's almost like a, a sports team. That's one like the, in, in America, the new England Patriots for 20 years have been one of the most, yep. You're wearing a, a, a new England page. That's what you had. I couldn't see at first. I'm like, is she wearing a new England Patriots shirt? But, but it's got but Mickey Mouse Mickey on it. Mouse. So it's very, yes. it's, it's very twice on brand yeah, for me. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, the Patriots had 20 years of dominating and now they're in that period of, well, you don't have Tom Brady anymore and Bill mm-hmm. Belichick's old. So let's see what the next 10 years bring. And it's like, that's kind of what great directors go through. And it's same thing with actors. Mm-hmm. Great actors go through ups and downs. And I think what's been fascinating about Spielberg is, you know, he is now in the, which is sad. It's like, he's almost 80 years old. I hate the fact that like, we might only be getting, you know, three more movies from him and not just Mm. that he's going to die, but he just might be like, I'm too old to do this now. I just want to relax. But, but yeah, I think the the 2010s was his decade of like, I'm going to pick these stories that I want to tell and I'll, and I'll try some curveballs. but it is his very, like he, it felt like he could have done a lot of these movies in his sleep and it's not Mm. a knock on them necessarily. It's just, he's that good. And, and then the 2020s come, which starts with COVID and, and I was funny. I wasn't sure which one of the two you're going to pick. I love the Fablemans more, but I liked this movie a lot too. And and he took the ultimate swing. And while it wasn't financially great, and I think a lot of that has to do with the political times we're in, but also the fact that he released it when COVID really was, unless you were like Spider-Man, you were not going to make a lot of movie at the time that you released mm-hmm. this movie. But I think he knocks West Side Story out of the park. Um, and, and now I know you love this movie. So you you have the floor to talk about this before we, we get to our favorite or top five Spielberg movies. Yeah, I was I was toying with like picking the Fablemans as well, just because it's such like a neat little button on the, the Spielberg, isn't it? Because it's yeah. about him. him. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I got it. I can't wait until wherever whenever we eventually get to talking about this film on on our podcast because it's going to be like years down the line by the time we get around to that but i was like i got it i I need the world to know how much i love west side story and i don't know if it's too early to call this kind of like i don't even want to call it like a renaissance for spielberg because he's never he's never like been bad or anything he's never made i think i think it's i think it's fair i I think it's fair because these are both too critically really well received so far like for yeah. just his t- first two movies of the decade 
and again, it's a remake of a classic that is mm-hmm. a beloved classic, and yeah, th- it took balls. It, mm-hmm. it took Spielberg-sized mm-hmm. balls to think, <laughs> oh, I have a different semi semi the same take, but I'm going to tell it a little bit different, mm-hmm. and and make it. I mean, let's be honest. Better in terms of look, you casted all all the Puerto Rican characters were cast by Puerto Rican yep. actors, and it doesn't mean you should go back and cancel West Side Story because they used a a white woman to play Maria. It's still mm-hmm. a great movie, and you could still enjoy it. But like this was big because this was, I think, a lot of actors finally getting to like you gave a lot of unknowns shots mm-hmm. in this movie, and they all nailed their performances. It got one of you know Ariana. De- is it Debo? Debo? Debose, yeah. Debose, yeah. She deserved that Oscar and then some. She was phenomenal yeah, yeah. in that movie. Yeah, and no one was more skeptical than me like before this film came out. And I had so many people being like, but it's Spielberg. And I was like, <laughs> why do you need to remake one of the best films ever made? Like West Side Story mm-hmm. is, is the original is a, is a masterpiece. And it doesn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around like even though it was Spielberg, <laughs> what was Spielberg's West Side Story going to look like? Like, why mm. did it even need to exist? Why is he wasting what, like, precious filmmaking time he might have left making something, like, trying to better perfection? And then I watched it, and I was like, well, son of a bitch, he's done it again, hasn't <laughs> he? <laughs> like, he really, he really just said, hold my beer, I'm going to make uh, arguably a better version of it. I don't know. I'm still, like, on the fence on it because, like, You've had decades of the of of the first, you know, mm-hmm. the original existing, and just I've not had as long with this film. Um, but when I'm in the mood to watch a West Side Story, this is the one I stick on. Well, so <laughs> he also it's on the list of better remakes. So whether you think sure. it's better than mm-hmm. the original or not, it, it, there's no denying it is on that very small list. There is not yeah. a lot of remakes because. Someone made a good point. Don't remake. If you're going to remake a movie, don't remake good movies. Remake bad movies that needed yeah. like a change to be good. And I really wish bigger directors in Hollywood would do that. Take like a movie that wasn't very good, but you're like, man, that story's good. It just wasn't done well. Mm. Let's remake that. Mm-hmm. But but Spielberg again. It's like he's always wanted to do a musical, and whether whether he. I mean, he took the swing, and and like I said, while it wasn't financially the most successful, obviously, but like critically everyone loved it and i don't know many people mm-hmm. who have watched it that didn't like it or at least be like oh yeah. yeah that's a good movie even if you don't love musicals it's a well done you know there's a style that he does with and i forget the character's name not tony's best friend in the in the movie um riff no not riff. what the hell is yes riff. yes riff. <laughs> so there's a there's a directing choice and i'm curious if he had it but it's a it's a more realistic acting in that movie from everyone except him. He's almost mm. Broadway esque in old school yeah. musicals, but it works. It's like there there's there's good stuff that he did with that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, I know his next one he's working on has me excited because I love Bradley Cooper and he's taking the bullet character from the old Steve McQueen movies and they're doing like a mod. I don't know if it's a modern day, but they're making an they're going to mm-hmm. continue that character on. And I'm like, that's awesome. Cause Bradley Cooper's a great actor and 
again, Spielberg right now, it's like his first two movies of the two, the 2020s. I've, I've mm-hmm. loved both of them. I think, and again, the, the Fablemans, I know some people are like, well, it's a little schmaltzy and it's like, yeah, but it's his life. Like he's yeah. still pretty <laughs> honest about the fact that he was a nerd and yeah, he has a girlfriend in the movie, but it's more of a joke that she's this, like mm-hmm. bizarro Christian girl who only mm-hmm. likes him because he's this dorky Jewish kid. But like <laughs> never in that movie did I feel like he tried to be like, oh, yeah, I'm this cool kid and popular. It's like, no, I'm I'm a loser. And this is what I am. Mm-hmm. And my mom's insane. And it's funny. Some people I remember saying, oh, like Michelle Williams, who I thought was really good in it. They're like, she was a little overacting. I'm like, if you watch interviews with Spielberg's mom. That's how she mm-hmm. was. She was like a Broadway character come to life. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's it's a movie that Judd Hirsch is. <laughs> I love him in that. It's like he <laughs> like Spielberg directed the shit out of him for like the five minutes that he's in the movie. But he's so good. <laughs> His character is so good in that movie. Um, and yeah, it's it, it, it's going to be fascinating what his last movie will be. And again, mm. I, I hope it's his whatever his last movie is, just because he's like, I got to retire now. I want to spend my yeah. rest of my years. But it is sad to think about that. It's like, man, we have we have just discussed six decades or <laughs> five in a in a in four in four uh, three years worth of decades. And it's like mm. he, he I will cry so many ugly tears when this man dies, even if he lives to be like one hundred and ten, I will still be like he still still has one more movie left in him. Yeah, uh, I'm taking a week off work when it happens. Yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, what, what, they're going to be like, what happened? You're like, someone really important to me died. And yeah, I, and I my, need to mourn my grandfather died. My grandfather. <laughs> I need to be gone. <laughs> You're like, my, my, my very famous grandfather, who doesn't know about me, but he would love yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah, it's... It is hard to think about that. Like, I think about that with a lot um, of the, I mean, you, the, all the directors you sort of mentioned up the top, like the kind of, you know, the, the film brats or whatever, like a Scorsese, like bless him. Like every time you see him like out and about now, I'm just like, oh, he, he is gets getting shorter old, and, and shorter and shorter. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> and he's a little dude anyway. Like, I know. I, so I just, uh. I'm just happy as long as he continues making films. And I, and I famously do not like films that are, pushing three hours or like over three hours when it when the like the runtime for killers of the flower moon came out i was like this could be 20 hours long and i would still watch it like i don't care (laughs) but but he's also (laughs) few directors have gotten the oh i'll give it a shot even though it's that long and he's one of them scorsese spielberg are two directors who they're probably my they were tied for a long time as my favorite and then spielberg's kind of pushed ahead of them because it's funny as i've gotten older i've gotten less cynical about movies mm. and I'd rather mo- watch more fun movies, but <laughs> I just think they're both too. And it's funny that they're friends because none of their movies yeah. are alike, but they are good friends. And they're like, we love watching each other's movies, which is funny because none of them, neither of them make movies that at all. Would you go, Oh, I could see Spielberg directing this, or I could see Scorsese directing this. They just, mm. they have different approaches, but you could tell how much they love movies. It never feels like they're just doing it for the paycheck. And that's what Mm -hmm. I think about Spielberg, which has been so fascinating is that his whole career, he, a, he never had to, but it just feels like, okay, he wants to tell this story, whether it ends up being a good movie or like, like I said, like hook or King of the crystal skull. It's like, I believe his heart was in the right place. It just didn't work because probably got too big, which happens. I mean, he's, and he also, you know, he's 
he's talked about how he's just like, this is what I do. Like, I don't, there's a, a quote by him where he's like, I don't dream at night. I dream for a living. This is what my mm-hmm. dream is, is making movies. Like you just know that this is what this man loves to do. Um, so now before we end this episode, I thought we could do a quick, uh, I want to know what are your top five and, <laughs> and we don't have to go, you know, five, four, three, like you could just tell me your top five and, and, and then I'll tell you mine. Um, and I'm curious if what your number one's <laughs> going to be. Now. <laughs> I think I know it, but we'll see. I don't know. I actually have curious your yeah. one through five because. <laughs> well, uh, to the surprise of absolutely no one, my number one is obviously Jaws. Um, the same. Yeah, that's the only one that's kind of like an absolute lock. And I've been mm-hmm. I've been going over and over the others like for weeks, and I. It would probably change if I thought about it anymore. But anyway, so Jaws number one, never changing, never moving. Mm. Doesn't matter what this man brings out. It's never going to be beaten. Uh, Then I have Jurassic Park, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Close Encounters. And then I have West Side Story. That's how much I love this film. (laughs) We have have the same top three. So my number one, again, Jaws. That's never going to change. It's like my in my top three favorite movies of all time. So like that one's never leaving. Number one, baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, number two, Jurassic Park. Number three, Raiders. Uh, Number four is Saving Private Ryan. And then number five. So, so this one is almost wasn't because of how much I liked Schindler's List and was like, damn, Mm -hmm. and Close Encounters. But Again, we talked about how entertaining and watchable it is. Catch Me If You Can is my number five. I just absolutely, yes. I never get tired <laughs> of that movie. Um, and rewatching it again was so much fun, especially, and my kids are too young to watch it, but they loved that opening two minutes of like the title mm. stuff because that music, mm. the music is so good in that. So uh, good. It's one of my favorite John Williams scores. So Sarah, well, this has been a blast talking about uh, who I think is the greatest director of all time. Um, (laughs) Why don't you let uh, all my lovely listeners know where they could find you uh, on social media? Yeah, thank you again for for having me on. This has been an absolute blast. I could talk for longer than a Scorsese film about uh, how much (laughs) I love Spielberg, or longer than a Spielberg film it should be. Um, But yeah, a pleasure as always to, to come on and chat to you um so if people want to find uh me i am on twitter at sarah buddery and if you want to listen to the podcast which you should because uh, a lot of i can vouch stuff, it's not a just great yours. podcast it really is <laughs> thank you thank you yeah uh we're let's jaws for a minute um wherever you find your podcasts and at jaws for a minute on twitter all right, great. Well, everyone, this has been uh, a very special episode of Netflix podcast. The I gave the Q recommendation earlier. Definitely check out the Spielberg documentary on HBO Max or Max. Uh, and then uh, my other Q is all these movies we talked about today. <laughs> Honest to God, pull a Spielberg movie out of a hat. That should be the movie you throw in your queue. Um, and to kind of close out this episode, uh, from the words of the man himself, Steven Spielberg, every time I go to a movie, it's magic, no matter what the movie's about.
This has been another edition of Nick Flicks Podcast. I would love to hear your feedback on the movies discussed in today's episode. Feel free to leave a comment on the official Nick Flicks Twitter page, which is at Nick Flicks Pod, or on Instagram at Nick Flicks Podcast. You could also give a follow and leave a review on either Apple or Spotify that will help me reach a bigger audience. Thank you all, and stay tuned next to see what's in the queue.